from Ratterman Studios, this is High Pressure, a podcast where industry leaders discuss common challenges, industry trends, and daily operations surrounding gases and welding. Here's your host, George Ratterman. Well, hi, this is George Rodderman, and welcome to another episode of the High Pressure Podcast. Today is really a special day. You know, we have Rich Godwell. He's the CEO and president of CGA. That's the Compressed Gas Association. Rich, I'll tell you, the last time we saw each other was in person was in Washington, D.C., when we were at a Gata convention. But it's so great to have you today. It's virtual, but it's so great to have you today. So welcome to the High Pressure Podcast. Oh, great, George. I'm really happy to be here and to talk to you and your listeners about some of the things we're working on. And uh, can't wait till we can be back together in person. But for now, this will this will suffice. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things, you know, I know you're a very humble person, but I mean, really, as president and CEO of the CGA, it's, it's quite an organization, unlike a lot of things where really it's all the members which volunteer their time. And you've got some of the I mean, you've got to be on cue because you got some of the top industry leaders on your board. And you have some of the top industry leaders on all your different committees. Yeah. Yeah, George, you know, it really is amazing. I've been involved uh, almost three years now, and uh, it's an amazing organization. You know, it's been around for since 1913. uh, And in in that time, the whole focus has always been writing safety standards to industry. You know, we, we write the, we, we basically write the standards that regulate the industry. And that's a really, good place to be in when you're basically right, regulating your own business. And uh, yeah. CJ over the years has done a really good job at doing that. They, they really have. I mean, that, that foresight, putting those headlights on, looking way ahead, right, to, to find out what things could possibly be a problem before they become the problem. Or in many cases, that's what safety is all about, right? Really looking at all yeah. the safety issues. You guys really do an outstanding job in that area. You know, I was going to lead into something right now that's that everybody's hearing about and it's pretty fascinating, you know, behind the scenes, our industry or many of the different parts of the industry, the compressed gas association deals with are doing many things behind the scenes that people aren't all that aware of. And then all of a sudden it pops up to the forefront, one of which is dry ice. And it's become a big conversation piece, right? Where does dry ice come from? Do we have enough dry ice? And of course we get back to the vaccine. You know, we look at, you know, the fact that dry ice is 190 degrees. And I think it's like what, 94 degrees that they have to keep this vaccine at, so, right? So now we have a vaccine that has to be kept cold or it won't be, you know, good to use. And through the whole transport thing. And I know you, which is pretty cool, you know, even using a Star Trek, you know, word here, you know, but we got warp speed, right? You, you've been involved with the warp speed and the Homeland Security. And I wanted to get your take on where we at and, and how this is affecting all of us relative to dry ice. Yeah, sure. You know, today's a big day. This morning when I woke up, I looked at my phone and I had a, an alert uh, from um, one of the news organizations saying that the first vaccine was given out in the UK today. The first clinically approved vaccine was given out today. So today's a, a huge day in my world anyway. Hopefully there's a light at the end of the, the tunnel here. Um, dry ice is playing a really important role here. We got involved, I don't know, probably, I don't know, 60 days or so when we started getting calls because when it became apparent that the, uh, that the Pfizer vaccine has to be kept really cold, um, it, it it became obvious that the only way to do that outside of ultra cold refrigerators, which a lot of people don't have, is going to be dry ice. So over the course of, uh, you know, you know, a, a month or so, we spoke with everybody. What we, we were talking with the Department of Homeland Security, Operation Warp Speed, Pfizer, the suppliers of all the CO2 that has turned into dry ice, trying to get an understanding of what, um, 
what the requirements were for the vaccine, uh, how much, when, first of all, when it's gonna be, when it was gonna be available, uh, how much dry ice would be needed for uh, the distribution. And really we're talking about distribution. Once Pfizer releases it, it's really like taking it from, from those facilities out to, I'll call them far flung places in the United States, but really any cities and towns. Um, so it was really an, an interesting process in trying to understand how it's gonna be distributed and how much dry ice is gonna yep. be needed. Um, so and, yeah. If I just say, you know, we, we, we put out a statement about two weeks ago that looking at all those numbers, we are very confident that we can meet the demands of the uh, uh, of the distribution, the demands of dry ice needed for distribution. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm getting lots of calls from the press and others wondering, is there going to be enough? And our answer is yes. From everything we see at this point, there's going to be enough of dry ice. You know, and when we look at dry ice, uh, would you mind touching on the markets, like, like the different market segments that uses of dry ice today? I know there's certain areas that like the airlines use it for a lot of things for keeping things cold when they do their transport and the food industries for like Omaha steaks, things like this. But could you touch on maybe kind of the segments and what their basic usage of dry ice or CO2 is? Not just yeah. dry ice, but CO2 in, in general. Yeah, so let's with CO2. So, CO, so dry ice is basically the solid version of CO2. So CO2, so CGA members go, and it, for the most part, CO2 is an off gas from uh, other industrial gas productions, whether it be ethanol, ammonia, fertilizer manufacturing. Ethanol, excuse me, uh, CO2 tends to be a very pure uh, off gas there. So our members collect that CO2, they, they clean it up a bit, they liquefy it a bit, and then they sell it to other markets. So the number one use of CO2 is food processing. And that's like beef, pork, chickens, things like that. A lot of CO2 is used in those markets, whether it be to stun the animals or using processing of meats. And about 47% of CO2 goes there. The next use is dry ice. Dry ice is around 15 to 17% of CO2 goes into dry ice market. Then the third use is beverages. Sodas, beer, things like that. That's, about, that's another about 15, 16%. Yeah. In terms of dry ice, that is used for, it's used for cooling, as you mentioned, whether it be things like, um, you know, whether it be things like Omaha steaks or other, other products that need to be kept cold when they're shipped. It's used for a lot in, um, uh, you know, creating smoke and steam and, and what in some sort of productions, whether they be television or stage productions, it's used to remove graffiti. Uh, you know, basically, you can basically spray, spray wash a wall with, with, uh, with dry ice and the gra graffiti is removed yeah. and the dry ice disappears. So you, yeah. it's sort of a, yeah, it's a good replacement for sandblasting environmentally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. But in this case, you know, keeping, keeping things cold, uh, it, it's really the number one use for it. So there was a big shortage due to a lot of the ethanol plants, you know, shuttering or being slow because there was not as much demand for ethanol. And that was causing quite a shortage in the industry. Do you feel that the reason we won't have a shortage for distribution of the vaccines is because the beverage market might be down a lot right now with a lot of restaurants being, you know, closed down or slower than normal? That was pretty well, back in the spring, when we, we really had a shortage of ethanol, and we, we pulled together a coalition and went to the 
the vice president's office because they were heading up the coronavirus task force. The concern there was the, the country literally shut down uh, late March, early April and driving stopped, which meant gasoline use stopped and therefore ethanol. So at that point, I think the numbers were the ethanol markets were down 40, 50%. The ethanol plants just stopped running. Once we get out of, the mar out of March and April and into the uh, late spring, early summer, things started to come back. We kind of learned to live with COVID is what I think the way I put it is that people started driving again, life resumed to somewhat a sense of normal and people doing errands and things like that. So we saw ethanol markets come back on. The last I heard was, I think, um, maybe a few weeks back, and the ethanol markets were about at 90% of capacity. Yeah. So coming back online like that is, is really what gives us the confidence that there'll be enough CO2 for dry ice. Our estimates are that earlier I said about 15, 16% of CO2 goes into dry ice. We estimate that to meet the dry, to meet the vaccine demands, that's going to be an additional 5% of that 15% is needed. Okay. So it's not a huge amount. Um, it's not a huge amount. It is you know, significant. But looking at the, at the systems, we think there is enough capacity in place to meet that 5%. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine from a distribution perspective, when you look at all the small towns, the big towns, and trying to get dry ice to all the right places or for the shipping, that, that will be a logistic uh, uh, strategy, I'm sure, that many people will be working on. And I think you had some level of involvement with that as well, with uh, the distribution ability yeah. for that. And I think I think that's where the challenge is going to be, right? This is not a new application for dry ice, as you mentioned, Omaha steaks and things like that shipped around the country, around the world all the time. I think what the focus is here is that it's such a critically important uh, uh, application in, in this case that we've got to get it right now you know our members are supplying either the co2 or the dry ice directly to different aspects of, of the distribution and um i know that they're working very closely to make sure that the smallest towns around the country uh get the uh, get the amount of dry ice that's needed in yeah. and we'll be working closely with them to see whether they need any assistance and, and connecting with the government and different agencies but we're pretty confident they are they're working those those connections now. Yeah, you know, and it, it, that's such a reassuring thing to know that there's been so much thought put into this. They have you know top organizations like yours involved and and be able to really make this all happen. And for all of us, you know, it's it's a benefit to every single you know person in our country. So it's a fantastic and, and very positive to hear that. Thanks, you know, for pulling us in with that. I do have this question: of what was the most fascinating thing or interesting thing? that has happened while you're working on warp speed. Is there anything that stands out to you where you, you've kind of had one of those aha moments for yourself or kind of when you're taking a shower, you go, that's, that was pretty cool. Um, I would say, you know, back in the spring when we were working on this and I was on a call with, uh, with some other association execs it, we're talking about. So at that time it was around medical oxygen and, and CO2 shortage. And the vice president came on the phone. Uh, you know, Pence, Pence came on the phone and started asking a few questions. So we were able to connect right to the very top of, of uh, you know, of the, um, of the country and, and, and give them the confidence that we had the ability to supply the products that were so needed. Back in the spring, it was around medical oxygen and CO2 for food supply. But that was pretty neat, I thought, to be able to uh, talk to the vice president. Go, go home and say, honey, I talked to the vice president today. That's pretty cool. Not so <laughs> many people can say that, that they've had that day. That's yeah. pretty neat. That's cool. That's great. You know, the thing about... Uh, 
the association that deals with a lot of different markets and emerging markets. And when everything's an emerging market, right, that's when you guys really kick in because we have safety issues, things that maybe people haven't thought about yet because they haven't, you know, that paradigm, right? People aren't doing it yet. Um, and when I look at that, there's a couple markets out there that you have spent quite a bit of time on. I think one of which is the cannabis. I, I, I call it the marijuana, which I guess shows me wrong age here. I know it's cannabis now. We're supposed to say, you know, correctly. Uh, but in that cannabis market, you know, whether it be extraction and all the different things that happen in that market segment, you know, certain states it's legalized. As states get legalized, you see a big boom of people going and jumping into that market segment. Is there some things that you would, you know, point out a couple of key things you ran into that you would want gas distributors to know about, you know, the people, you know, using, I'm sorry, selling the products to those different market segments. Is there a couple of standouts for you? Yeah, that, that's a good question, George, because, um, you know, what we do is we write the safety standards for these products, uh, for our products. And as they become used in different different applications, it means either writing new standards for those applications or educating the new users. And that's kind of where we are here. The cannabis market is a really good uh, example. I have here that in 2019, uh, the cannabis sales worldwide were 14, basically $15 billion. By 2024, that's estimated to be $43 billion. Wow. You know, so pot is a big business, right? And uh, what we are seeing as it explodes, particularly in the States and in Canada, is a lot of small, I'll call them mom and pop companies are getting into the business. They're learning that they can, they can grow the product and sell it pretty easily. But they're using our products. They're using things like uh, they're using things like carbon dioxide as a growth accelerant. Propane and butane they use to either heat facilities or to extract certain uh, agents in the processing. Nitrogen is used uh, for extraction as well. So as they start using these gases, um, they may not. They probably don't understand some of the uh, the hazards associated with them. So we've recently, we're teaming up as as an association for everything and there is an association for the cannabis industry and we're working with the cannabis industry to develop, to take our standards so they know how to apply those standards to their products, but also developing very specific communication pieces for them so they know how to use the different gases uh, in their business. The last thing we want is for an accident to happen because as you know, the products can be pretty dangerous. So we're working with them to educate them on, on that. So I would say the distributors watch that market. It's, it's just exploding. It literally is uh, just yeah. growing down. And to your point, like a safety thing, right? A person that is jumping into that market and starting to say, Hey, I can have better growth from my, my, my plants. And again, I'm saying marijuana or, or you said pot. So we're both not too cool with the right wording, right? We're supposed to say cannabis, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they go, oh, wow, I want to grow my plants. I'm going to blow some CO2 in there. That That's like, I mean, that's just like fantastic for those plants to want to grow. But also you get asphyxiation, right? Because you displace oxygen in a room. So now does somebody know that? Are they aware of that? Do they have an alarm or think all the things that, that may happen, right? Or you're using butane for extraction. And you have many different elements that can happen around that. So do so you guys have a focus on that? And there's information that a distributor could get that would help them guide them through some of those elements? 
Yeah, so actually right now, they don't have, uh, we, we don't have it yet, but they're under development. So they're under these posters and guidelines and how you use the product. So as those become more available, we'll make sure that we communicate through our website. We also work very closely with GATA to make sure yeah. that GATA's distributors have access to it as well. Uh, yeah. So they're under development now. They're not, they're not ready just yet. You know, you mentioned that for, for a moment there. Um, there's two different types of cannabis, right? Uh, the, the way, the way I thought this is sort of interesting, the way the, the industry describes it. There is what they call the medical market, and then they call it adult use. They used to call it recreational, but adult use. And in, in 2019, 71% of the cannabis market was medical, uh, and about 30% was uh, adult use. Well, in 2020, it's 50-50. There's wow. more cannabis going into the adult use market. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I believe that's mostly the extraction. That's mostly, you know, getting the oils extraction and all the other market segments, right? Edibles and all the things that go along with that, which that even gets into packaging and all the different gases you can maybe use for packaging and preserving products. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Yeah. And, it, and the speed in which it's happening, right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a, it's what, what might, might happen in 10 years was happening in one year. It's just an amazing speed. You know, it, it's all so far has been a state by state effort, but you may know, I think just, just last week, the, the House of Representatives here in D.C. Uh, basically uh, agreed to take up the concept of legal, legalizing marijuana. Now, it's, it's more than likely not going to get through the Senate, but it is just the fact that it's being discussed at, uh, at the highest level here in D.C. shows where it's headed. Right. Yes. Great. Um, when we go to other markets, you know, there's some other markets. But also, I, I want to touch on one thing. There are some issues with cylinders coming back that you have to worry about possibly things being brought back into a cylinder and being aware of the fact that that cylinder could get contaminated if you don't have check valves and things. You want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, one of the uh, one of the things I think that the distributors can get from us is we put out a lot of guidelines on how you do stuff like this. So, for instance, I'm looking here. We have you know guidelines for cleaning externally contaminated medical gas cylinders or any cylinders for that matter. But how you how you clean cylinders because you do want to make sure that in this example, whether it be to the cannabis market, you want to make sure that if that cylinder is going back and is going to be used for something else, that it has been cleaned uh, appropriately. And so one of the things that we do is develop guidelines on how you make that cleaning happen to make sure that they're not contaminated. We, we have a number of our customers that, are, that work in that market very strongly. And we've, we have got product lines we brought out where they can have all for like cryogenic, some people call them doers or cryogenic tanks that they can put the fittings on, which will not allow back pressure into the tank. So it keeps you from getting contaminants in the tank that you might fill later and then redistribute. And the same thing, RPV valves are available for the high pressure tanks. So that's a really good way to go to, to ensure. But then you, you want to make sure you have that, that type of a dedicated equipment for that particular market, right? So you, you dedicate to that market, then you know you've, you've got a way to keep the safety there. Um, the other market I think is interesting because it's not something, you know, you hear about it, but it's not, I don't think to the point of what it really is going to be, which is hydrogen. I mean, that is a major initiative for you guys, right? Yeah. So back in the uh, midsummer, our board met virtually and had a strategic planning session and hydrogen, uh, we were given the, the you know, the direction to, to develop a roadmap for hydrogen and what that means to the association. So more and more hydrogen is being used to move to a, you know, a non-carbon 
uh, economy. I have numbers here. I think they say that uh, by 20, by 2030, the hydrogen economy in the U.S. could generate an estimated $140 billion in revenue and support 700,000 jobs. By 2050, it could drive growth by generating $750 billion, almost a trillion dollars, and 3.4 million jobs. And so hydrogen, you know, is, is being looked at um, to hydrogen. We're sort of focused on the mobility aspect basically fuel cells and cars and transportation. I mean, hydrogen is looking at all different aspects of the economy, whether it be for manufacture of cement or in steel mills. It's, so it's got these huge potential um, opportunities across the industry as we move to decarbonize uh, the economy. Yep. What we're focused on is where it kind of comes in touch with the consumer. And that really is in, you know, hydrogen fueled vehicles. And so we're looking at, we've developed a task force, a strategy task force to understand where that industry is, what are, where do the standards we have today fit into that? And then where are the gaps and, and those gaps more and more tend to be around what we'll call, you know, hydrogen fueling facilities, gas stations, like yeah. the hydrogen, you know, how far they should be set back from tanks of hydrogen, where they can be cited with respect to other stores and other uh, businesses. One of the challenges you have with hydrogen, right, is it's odorless, right? And there's no color. You can't see it. You can't smell it. Right. And of course, now in in natural gas, they ended up adding, you know, a smillion, right? So you could know that you've got a you've got a natural gas. Do you think that might be something coming along for hydrogen when you you're you're going to be fueling a an automobile or car or, or what do you think on those areas? Yeah, I, I don't I don't really know about that, but but that's a, that's the perfect example of some of the challenges that we're dealing with. So you know. We think of hydrogen as this very industrial chemical, but suddenly there is, you know, a uh, your average person on the way home from the office stops at a fuel a hydrogen filling station is taking a, a, a nozzle hydrogen putting into the car. There's all sorts of potential challenges and dangers associated with that. Yeah, uh, you know, other challenges we're dealing with that today hydrogen tanks can't go through tunnels. Right. Most most cities and towns have uh, they don't allow these tanks with the tunnels. Well, that's going to create real challenges if you want to move into a hydrogen economy where vehicles, whether they be automobiles or trucks, um, are going to be fueled. How do you get the fuel to those stations if you can't go through a tunnel in a city right. uh, over some bridges? Things like that really call, cause challenges. And that's some of the things we're focused on. How that plays out for the distributors is two to be determined, but we do know that hydrogen is going to have a huge, um, a huge place in the future economy. Yeah. And do you, do you see that as a, a local thing that gas distributors should be involved in? I mean, this is a frontier opportunity market similar to cannabis where you, you can get in there and find a way to be a hydrogen distributor or, or producer or manufacturer of hydrogen. I would say certainly to pay attention to the market. Like I, I, I can't say for sure what the role of distributors would be and how quickly it'll move to that. But when we talk about moving um, the entire economy to to a hydrogen base, there's certainly going to be opportunities for distributors. I don't know exactly what those are today, but they're going to be coming along. So I would say just watch that market. Yeah, as your the Press Gas Association uh, team also worked on liquid natural gas, LNG and CNG, compressed natural gas. 
you also worked on different aspects of that as well, right? That's right. Yeah, we have standards around around those markets as well. Yeah. Now, one of the things you have, which I think is really cool, you've developed some posters for the industry to hand out to the end user. So the end user would actually be able to hand that to their customers. So whether they're the medical or in, depending on the industry, they can hand that poster. Uh, would you mind touching on the key posters you right now have available that they can get to an end user? Yeah, so for end users, we have um, one on home oxygen safety, uh, the safe use of liquid nitrogen in food and beverages, uh, the medical oxygen supply chain. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we have, a, we have a brand new one on dry ice, handling and transportation of dry ice. So all of those are downloadable for free on our website, cjnet.com. And then the distributors can take those. They can, they can print them out in different sizes, and then they can give them to end users to make sure that the end users know how to deal with right. the product. Um, yeah, I, 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 thought that was, I thought that was brilliant the way you guys put it on your website so that you, know, you can just download it, print it out, get it up right away. Um, are they also pre-printed if you wanted to order some pre-printed, or is it just purely a download that you get? From? Right now, we're just doing download. Right now, we're doing a download. A company could download them and make and print off of that. Make, we also, I, I do believe, we also offer the artwork if someone wants to do, you know, really high quality. They can get the artwork from us. And, yeah, it's great. Do you yeah. probably even send you probably even send the file to a Kinkos or someplace can print some out for you if you don't have the right color copier. That can Absolutely, because they are beautifully done in color, so I think that they really stand out well, and they're they're really easy to digest. They make sense if you're from an end user perspective. You know, they're not highly, you know, it's not so in-depth technically. You can really grab what that's all about. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're made for the end use. For instance, the one that we have on liquid nitrogen and food and beverage, um, I think there's two different versions of that. But that really is geared towards either the kid at, a micro, at an ice cream stand that might be dealing with some sort of nitrogen or a bartender who might be dealing with some sort of liquid nitrogen in, in, in cocktails. Right. It's very, there's a lot of graphics, really easy to understand. Do this, don't do that. They're really geared yeah. towards the end user. You know, the one that, and I'm going to use my little moment here to make this statement, you know, is helium. And it's interesting. I watch movie after movie where they, they introduce helium into it as a humorous thing to change your voice and what they do. And of course, like a lot of things in movies, they're, they're, they, they, they're not realistic to what can happen to you in a danger way. And it's interesting how much uh, marketing has been done in the movies. I, I blame it on the movies from my viewpoint. Uh, people see it as a humorous thing, but what they're not saying is asphyxiation, right? I mean, you get asphyxiation as well as if you use the if you use a nozzle or something, the amount of pressure in your lungs actual capacity, you can damage your lungs. You can you know really die from this type of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I do you remember? I think it was two years ago. State Farm. Uh, aired a commercial during this during the Super Bowl, in which it was supposed to be you know Super Bowl as everyone tries to make them funny. So there was a helium truck tanker truck. There was an accident in a tunnel, and the helium truck had jacked up. There was it was uh, there was a leak, and everyone was getting out of their car, and suddenly everyone was speaking with a high duck voice, like you yeah. know helium. We saw that ad and I wrote a letter to the CEO over at State Farm asking them, explaining the dangers with respect to helium and asking them to take the, the ad down. Now they did, the ad did not run again, whether that had to do with our letter or not, but we take that stuff really seriously. Yeah. It, they were trying to make a funny, you know, moment there, but it's dangerous. I mean, you would die. If you were in that tunnel and that helium truck jackknife and you sit there, you would be asphyxiated. Right, asphyxiation, right. And you can't see it, you, you know, right? It, it just, right. right. Well, I appreciate you, know, you giving us a peep. And I, th and I think you also have information. CJ has information on the helium as well, I believe. 
We do. And actually, you know, th those posters I mentioned were just end user posters. We have, I don't know, probably 20 or so posters. Some of them uh, focused more on uh, industrial audiences. Yeah. Uh, Helium, actually, on our website, we have a video around Helium dangers as well. Um, okay. So, you know, cganet.org, there's a lot of dot com. There's a lot of information there for the, for the distributors to take a look at. And the Compressor Gas Association, if you want to get involved more, what what, what's the steps to take? If you want to be involved, you want to be on a committee, uh, what, what steps do you, does somebody take? So a couple of things they should do. Um, first of all, they should join GADA because we work very closely with GADA and GADA is the, the association for distributors. And we work very closely with GADA. And once they're a member of GADA, they can participate in our, our safety uh, statistics program, which gives them access to the standards and the guidelines and the posters and things like that. They could also join CGA. And by joining CGA, they can actually sit on committees, help write standards, learn more in depth how you deal with the standards. Uh, so either of those things is, is a great way yeah. to learn more about the industry. Yeah. And you know, and GATA is an outstanding organization because that's another organization that's really all the different gas distributors that want to make sure they have the safest and best practices they possibly can have in the marketplace. And they've done an outstanding job as well. And I know you guys have partnered together on many things. And that's a great partnership. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I cannot say more about God and what a great benefit it brings for people, not only for safety, but also best practices on running your business. And that's another organization that's just some fine, fine individuals on it. I think many of the people on, in God, there's a number of them on your board as well. Yeah, we have, a, uh, and actually Gata, uh, John Espina, who's the executive director of, of Gata, sits on our board, as well as the president of Gata sits on our board in, in a non-voting capacity. One of the things that we've partnered with Gata in the past few years is developing e-learning modules, their training modules. I think we have six of them now, and they're on topics like um, safe handling of acetylene cylinders, um, filling of high pressure medical oxygen cylinders. And what they are is they're like 30 to 45 minute, um, you know, modules that you sit through and there, there's, there's training and then there's tests throughout them and you get to, uh, you, you have to pass the test before you go on to the next section. And it's a great way for distributors to train new employees or to retrain existing employees. And those are available through GATA or CJ if you're a member of either organization as well. Right. And, and to touch on that, by being a member of GATA, then you have access to the CGA files to be able to get all those good ass, assets that you guys have, right? That's right. Yep, absolutely. That's absolutely. great. So, Rich, I really appreciate your time today. I've, I've found it very informative for myself. I've, I've, over the years, really enjoyed working with you and the association. I would like to ask you if there's a couple key things that stand out at you that you thought that, you know, from your working at CGA that really stand out at you that you'd like to, to throw out there. It'd be a fun thing, funny thing, interesting thing, scary <laughs> thing, you know, I just, and I, I'm putting you on the spot. I know that, but, but you know, there might be something there that just kind of comes top of the mind to say, you know, you know, that, 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 that's one of those ones that stands out. <laughs> She said, no, I gotta put him on the spot there. I, I can't think of anything funny. I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning about the smart people involved in CGA and I'd say Goddard as well. But you know, people should consider getting involved with CGA uh, for that, just to learn. I mean, these people have been, they're the tops in their profession around the world, right? They're the num number one. And you can sit in a room with them and talk with them and have cocktails with them at the, at the you know, events and really learn about, you know, the people who really are defining and driving this industry. So I would 
definitely recommend getting involved for that reason, uh, if for no other reason. Right. Yeah. It's, it's extremely rewarding. I agree with you. Well, great. Well, thank you again for being on the Ron Manufacturing's podcast today, High Pressure. And uh, you have a wonderful rest of your week. And thanks again for all your help and time and what you do with the uh, Compressed Gas Association. So thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you, George. You too. These podcasts are putting together are great. So thanks for having me. It's happy to be here. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast. You could also follow us on LinkedIn. Rotterman is also offering training for our gas distributors at rmimfg.com slash webinars.